Hiring the wrong executive costs you time and money. Leveraging work psychology, Spear Consulting helps you hire the right executive so you can focus on growing your business. For a free quote, visit spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Virtuous Heroes podcast. Excited to, to be able to have you on the show today. Uh, Leo, you're a, a real firecracker and excited to be able to, di- to dive into your own leadership journey. Um, our first question always is, who are you? So that people can really get a 10,000 foot level into your life and leadership journey. Sure. Well, thank you, Christopher. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, thank you for your work to help people think about leadership and the importance of, of leadership in uh, community and society. It's really um it's, a, it's such a critical issue for us. And so thank you for the invitation. My name is Leah Yaw. I serve as Senior Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer for Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health. Devereaux is a nonprofit behavioral health care network. We serve children and adults across the country, uh, about 25,000 people a year. We have about 7,000 staff who do that work um, across the country, specifically in 13 states where we have large centers. Devereaux cares for uh, a great number of people. About half the individuals we care for are children, adolescents, and teens who've experienced um, extreme trauma in their life, who uh, may be dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder or depression or other mental health issues issues as a result or organically. And we also serve children and adults across the lifespan with autism uh, and other intellectual and developmental disabilities. Devereaux is about 110 years old, so we've done this work for quite some time. And it's really a privilege and a mission of service that all of us at Devereaux share. I'm also a wife and a mom, and that's who I am. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know we're going to dive uh, further into Devereaux as well and the impact that you guys are making there. Um, but just to be present and mindful about what you just said, you said a wife and a mom. That's pretty pretty awesome uh, way to you know resonate the servant leadership in all areas of your life. Uh, how many kids do you have? Just one, uh, one son, 17, getting ready for college. So uh, it's a big time in our house with an only child getting ready to go off on on their life journey. Very exciting and a little bittersweet for mom and dad. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So have you guys like had a a great plan on what to do when you guys are empty nesters? (laughs) (laughs) Or like, I'm like, I'm in the, I'm right. I'm like a couple months away from having uh, my third child. And so bringing a baby like in like almost 40, I'm going to be 39 in September. So so yeah, so just having to kind of like reboot the whole kind of like, you know, the mm-hmm. lifestyle we grew accustomed to. And and so with that on my heart, I'm just curious as to like, what is the end of like the parenting and childhood life cycle look like of like our goal of like <laughs> help them to be like, you know, uh, you know, citizens and and you know, taxpaying citizens and leaders and and being able to go off and like take care of themselves instead of just being reliant upon ourselves too. Well, it's very challenging. It's, it is the strangest mix of being as proud as you've ever been in your whole life and also maybe as sad as you've ever been and joyous and, and worried. And it's just really, it's a, 
it's a wealth of emotions, I think, as it should be for, for any family. Uh, but our, our plan is to support him, help him pick the school that is right for him. I have a son who's very interested in service to others as a career, very interested in things like international relations and diplomacy, and, uh, law, and uh, that makes me very proud of him. So we want to help him choose a great school. And just a little tidbit for your listeners from a B, someone who works in behavioral health care, uh, the developing brain, especially the developing male brain is not fully grown till age 25 or 26. So a lot of folks think 18, they're off on their way. They should be able to be totally independent. So our plan is to uh, encourage his independence and build it, but know that we still have we still have some years ahead of us where uh, he'll need parents and he'll need that kind of support um, and backup. So, yeah, it's like the whole element of your brain that's not fully formed around like a cause and effect, right? Like the impact. That's exactly the part. (laughs) Prefrontal cortex, the part, the executive thinking, the cause and effect, all of that takes longer than, you know, science now tells us it takes longer than we thought to develop. And I think that's important for all parents to know. If you've got a kid who's 19 and isn't fully independent, not a failure on their part, not a failure on your part. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think I did my first load of laundry until my freshman year of college. And I can point to time and time again, where my, you know, prefrontal cortex not, not being fully developed, uh, just making some really horrendous decision-making that, and that, uh, you know, point of life of when, you know, people are thinking like, okay, you know, he's in college and doing all the, you know, should be doing all the right things, like not even close to it. So, so yeah, Not, not even close. And so that's really, that's a, I think that's an important message for us all. And it's important that we support our kids. Right. I think it's, I think that's a traditional value that, that we've maybe lost a bit that, that sort of lifespan of family and community really supporting our kids past the age of 18 And then also maybe taking care of our parents when they're older and maybe having them live with us. Right. That's that's was for a very long time, a a very traditional kind of family life cycle when people stayed together and lived together in family community. And I think we've gotten away from that for a lot of reasons that we all understand. Right. The world's big and people want to go out and adventure. But uh, for our family, that's something that we. Um, are really working on. So we hope to be there for our son for as long as he wants and needs us. And we're also now making plans for our parents, for my parents, uh, to come and live with us in our home. So that's really our next step to answer your question is we're going to have some some new family members in our home and we're going to look forward to spending time with them and and helping them sort of in their um, in their their journey. Awesome. Well, that's that's amazing. And yeah, I mean, we're, uh, you know, my parents have, uh, 20, 22, soon to be 23 grandkids wow. and, and, uh, all of me and my five siblings all live within like a 10 mile radius of each other. So, you know, just definitely living that, that family lifestyle and being able to, you know, kind of put family first. Um, so, so yeah, so Leah, uh, and uh, so how did you get to the SVP and chief strategy officer position leadership role for Deborah? Sure. Well, you know, I think like a lot of people, it, it was a long journey. I've been in my you know professional 
life uh, post grad school for 25 or 26 years. Uh, And it's taken sort of a series of steps and a lot of development, both professionally and personally, uh, to, to get where I am. And it also involved, I think, some learning and some maturing and some values shifting along the way. My degrees are in journalism and communications theory and writing. And I, I do love to write and I still am very lucky in my, in my job now to have a lot of writing and speaking responsibilities. But, you know, my plan was to be um, a journalist and really be sort of a hard hitting news person. And I did that for a bit and then was lured very honestly by uh, money into the advertising uh, arena. And I worked in an ad agency environment uh, and learned a tremendous amount, learned a lot, but felt maybe not as fulfilled and, and felt like that wasn't really what I was looking to do with my life. And I had a client uh, that was a behavioral healthcare nonprofit network, not the one that I work for now, another, a fellow provider, who was a client of mine at the ad agency. And uh, they were always my favorite client. It was always a joy to work with them. It was always, I felt like it was a privilege when I got to work with them and help them with their communications issues. Uh, And in addition to really loving the work, I made friends with the people who were there. I made friends with you know, my contact uh, and contacts at that agency. And they eventually asked me to join their team to come in-house into the nonprofit environment to do the work I do with communications and strategy and leadership for them full-time. And I felt like it was the opportunity of a lifetime. Um, Sometimes when you get a new job offer, a new opportunity, you really have to think about it, the pros, the cons, you have to make lists. Uh, it, it, I, it wasn't a 30 second decision for me when they asked me to come in house and, and they actually made that ask when they were in the middle of a significant crisis. So it wasn't, it wasn't a very happy and joyful time for the organization. It was a real time of crisis and still it was probably the easiest decision I've ever made. I just felt very tied to their mission of service. I felt very compelled to be of use to the people they served and uh, went to work for them, worked there for 13 years. They were wonderful years. Um, I learned a great deal and really how I moved into sort of a senior vice president role, overseeing a big portfolio and overseeing strategy now at my new organization is I said yes to every opportunity that was given to me, including those that I didn't know that I could be successful at. So my write, my background is in writing and communication theory and speaking and speech writing. Uh, and at one point, that organization asked me to also run fundraising, which is something in which I had no background. Uh, but I said yes, because I thought I can learn. Uh, I can learn fast. I will work harder than anyone else. I will try harder. And if I fail... Uh, at least I will have given it the best shot I could and perhaps I will have helped the organization in the process. So really that's my answer to how I got to where I am. I said yes every time I had an opportunity, including when I was afraid (laughs) that I would fail at something Um, and just then worked as hard as it took to learn and to accomplish and to succeed. Awesome. 
Well, thank you for sharing on that and also your honesty about, you know, a, a certain career decision based off of money, which, you know, I think uh, a lot of people uh, make decisions based off of that, but not many are willing to admit that that can be their primary driver at points in their career. And uh, in addition to that, of just like the way you've just been able to grow and I think that, uh, you know, sometimes we can definitely, you know, especially in my day job of working as an executive search consultant uh, and running an agency, it's, I, you know, run into a lot of people that while, while they're in the middle of, you know, executive level job changes on how they can just, you know, they can almost like, you know, uh, paralyze themselves through overthinking um, instead of being able to you know, like you said, make the pros and cons list, see if it's something that is, is peaceful and then be able to go with it and recognizing that sometimes we may not have all the answers walking into those leadership opportunities, but it's through being able to really like grow through those that we really are able to set ourselves up for future opportunities as well. So, um, and I'm sure you probably saw along the way that many of those yeses have created the opportunity and pathway for you to be able to have the skills and talents that you needed in order to be in the role that you are today. So, so, uh, you know, thinking also about, you know, kind of back on Devereaux, um, there, you know, I remember when we were, you know, I, uh, worked with a bunch of different friends to form a nonprofit and in that fundraising role, uh, just having to really be able to tell stories that move people's hearts. Is there any in particular that you're particularly proud about at Devereaux that, that uh, you know, gets you charged up to get out of bed every day? Well, there are, there are so many. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to choose one, but I do, I kind of have a go-to story because it represents so much of what Devereaux does in so many ways. Uh, we, very shortly after I came to the organization, um, I really started reading, learning, studying, doing some coursework around autism, right? That, is not, that was not a specialty of mine from my previous organization. I had, I had worked very deeply in, in the mental health uh, sphere for children, but didn't know much about autism. So um, really started diving in and studying hard. And one of the things I did was meet with a lot of families that Devereaux served who had children uh, with autism or children on the spectrum, just to hear their stories. Because you can read and learn um, and now <laughs> watch videos and take courses online, but there's nothing like learning from the families uh, who you're serving, right? Who can really tell you about both the science and the heart of the issue. And uh, this family was telling me about their 14-year-old son who had been nonverbal all of his life until he came to Devereaux around age 12 and remained nonverbal but had learned facilitated communication, something that's called functional communication um, in some um, to, to, to physicians and autism specialists. And there are many ways to do that. It can be done now by tablet and iPad. It can often be done by something called a PECS book, a picture exchange communications book. And so the technology now is wonderful with iPads, but 15 years ago it really was a flip book with many, many pictures of 
anything and everything a 14 year old boy could want from food to games, to activities, to horseback riding, a picture of a horse. And so this family was telling me about what it was to love a child the way every family loves their child, but never be able to communicate with that child and and to feel like they would, would never in that child's whole life be able to actually have communication. And they had picked their child up for a long weekend from Devereaux and they were in the car together, all three of them. And the mother said to the father, should we stop for something to eat on the way home? Should we stop at a restaurant? And she said her son went through his pecs book, found the picture of the cheeseburger and wrote out, I would love a cheeseburger and handed it to her. And she said she just broke down in tears because she's, and I will now too, that I'm telling the story cry every time because she said that meant to her that every time she had told him she loved him for all his life, he had understood her. He had just not been able to say that back to her. And that was very moving to me. (laughs) And I thought this is an organization that facilitates family in that way, communication in that way. That's a wonderful thing. Wow. That's, that's incredible. And um, yeah, I can't even imagine, you know, I think so many of us take the uh, overlook the blessings and grace that we have in our lives of just being able to communicate with our loved ones. And you can only imagine how difficult uh, that could be on a family to, to be in that, but then also the breakthrough um, that mom had to, like understand that her child had, uh, you know, understood her so many times that she had communicated her love that she had. Um, that's, that's incredible. So thank you for sharing that for sure. It's a great story. I love to share it, but I can, I cannot as a mother of a, of a son, I can never get through it without crying. So it's, <laughs> it's a good story though. So Leah, you know, the show, uh, the Virtuous Heroes podcast before we kind of dive into the excellence side of leadership. We like to talk a little bit and and get real with our listeners about what our journeys have been like that and some of the ways that we had to overcome ourselves in order to, you know, be the leaders that we are. Um, so can you maybe talk through some of the the vices that you had to overcome in order to reach the leadership uh, stage that you're at today? Sure, of course. And, uh, and, I, and I will preface it by saying that I, I still work through these vices really every day, right? These, these things I'm going to talk about are consistently challenges for me. I think the good thing is I've become very aware of them, right? And I've identified these as uh, issues that I need to work on. I need to focus on consistently, whereas when I was 25 or 30 or 35, perhaps I didn't recognize them um, as the vices they are. Um, and I guess I say that just to make the point that I know I still have a lot of work to do with this. And, and I hope that others uh, who see this or who are in leadership know that it's okay to have to work on something really for your whole lifespan, that big issues are big and complicated and um, they're never once and done kind of fixes. But to that point, I would say really in identifying those things I have to work on, it's impatience. I can be very quick to um, expect results in my professional and personal life. Um, 
I really spend a great deal of time, especially as a mother, honestly, thinking about the issue of patience, tolerance and understanding and mindfulness and working hard to not be impatient, to not expect other people, especially my son or my husband, to see things exactly the way I see them or to do things exactly the way I would have them done, right? So patience is um, a real focus for me. It has been for a long time. It's always my New Year's resolution, really to work on patience and to grow patience and mindfulness. And that's an important one that I stay focused on. I really stay as focused as I can. Yikes, can we take a pause there? (laughs) Because uh, like... You know, in the Christian church, one of the things that is communicated from the pulpit and, you know, from stages, et cetera, is like, you have to be super careful about praying for patience because it's usually not one of those uh, virtues that is just like, well, here you go. Like, you're now patient. It's always like, well, there's going to be then lots of different circumstances that then pop up that require you to be able to work through and, you know, uh, be able to enact that virtue of patience. And I, you know, there's, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever read the people code. I think I've talked about it a couple of different times on this podcast, but it's all about like, they have like four different primary colors and each color like has a driven motivation or motivation that drives that, that color. And so every single person basically has a primary and oftentimes a secondary, but the primary is like pretty clear for you, Leah, similar to myself. I think I can always spot them as like reds. Um, Reds are known uh, driven by power and, and like our tagline is, you know, get things done and get it done yesterday, you know? So I can just recognize that in yourself. And, you know, as you're just talking about impatience of just being able to, you know, recognize that in myself too. And, and, but I think the other thing too, is like, I just find oftentimes with like knowing, knowing that. And, and I think that when I'm like tired or overworked, those are the times when like, I might not have the same amount of like mental capacity to like recognize that this can be a shortcoming of mine. And, (laughs) and like, even at a grandpa that would like be like, like just, you know, being way too over the top and like his expectations of how quickly things could be get done or even like knowing, have I done the proper communication to make sure that people were informed to be able to do the job in the first place. So uh, I hear you on that sister. I think that's very wise, that piece about communication. And that's uh, for a communicator. I have to say that's probably also something I have to work on, right? So uh, everybody everybody has a particular skill. Some people's skills are with emotions or numbers. Mine happens to be verbal. And so I pick up words very quickly and I really only need to be told something fractionally one time. And I know what's being communicated. And that's just a natural skill. That's not something I've developed. It was a gift, right? That's, that's sort of my gift. And I've had to learn that I can't expect that from other people in the way other people can't expect me to have that kind of facility, perhaps with, uh, you know, with numbers, with numerical equations, with valuations, right? My mind doesn't work that quickly with those things. Others, other people need more time and better communication around issues. Um, And I've had to learn um, to really be thoughtful about that, right? Just because I said something quickly, once in passing to a staff member or to my son 
And just because that would have been enough for me to internalize it, it's really unfair of me to think that everyone's communication style is the same and that they heard me, understood me, internalized it, and will go and immediately do it. That's not leadership, right? Leadership is really assessing your responsibilities and giving people on your team or in your family what they need to succeed. So that's been a real, that's been a focus for mine. And I, it, 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 it was brought home to me, you know, in many ways across the arc of my career, but uh, once several years ago, a wonderful, wonderful, successful, thriving staff member of mine brought like a reporter tape recorder into a meeting with me. She said, you talk too fast. <laughs> you say, you, I have to, I'm going to start recording you and then I can listen to you again afterward and I'll have everything I need. And I thought that's a great adaptation on her part, but that's a lesson to me, right? Mm. She was brave enough to do that and make the point to the team leader. I needed to internalize that and to make sure that my style worked with other people because that's my responsibility as a leader. So I have tried to slow down and give people more time to listen, to hear, to ask questions and internalize. Um, and for me, that takes patience. So <laughs> I really, I work on it um, and I'm trying to be flexible in that way. No one should have to grieve alone. Cassie's Foundation is a community dedicated to supporting you through the loss of your child by offering real support from others who've experienced the same. Go to at Cassie Foundation on Facebook to learn more and consider donating to the Ms. Foundation today at MsFoundation.org. Awesome. Well, yeah, so so thank you for sharing on that. And you know, the thing that was just kind of coming across my mind or was on my you know, hard today while I was working is also, you know, I think you nailed it on the head that people communicate and process things and learn things differently. And, and if we want to be effective leaders or even leaders in the first place, it's cognizant upon us to be able to be mindful about uh, the way that people are woven differently. And, uh, and even today, like just, you know, it's something as simple as like, well, some people like to email, some people like to text, some people like to call. And and the more that you can like nail all that stuff on the head just makes it that much easier to be able to really connect with people. But then, you know, that that's on a very surface level. Then beyond that, it's just kind of like the way that people, you know, what are their natural strengths and and what are the like the the common themes that you see in different people and knowing how to, you know, is this person extroverted, introverted, and what are the, what are the ways that are really going to like leverage their strengths and make them happy and feel fulfilled too, which I think the other challenge comes with it as well is that, you know, like, you know, you and you seem like you've done a lot of kind of like introspection, but a lot of people have not done the same amount of work, you know, to, to either A, they haven't done it or B, have the ability to communicate it, right? Of like, here's how I work. Here's how I work best and what I need. Not everyone has the ability to do that. So it's kind of like as a leader, being able to start to recognize those things and, and be able to like love uh, the people that you're serving in that way too. 
I think that's I think that's a really important message. And and I will I will say, you know, I should have mentioned when you asked kind of how did I get here, in addition to the hard work and the saying yes, I, I have been very lucky to have some fantastic, not just mentors, but champions, right? Mentors and champions. I think a mentor is someone who takes you under their wing and teaches you. And I've had some wonderful mentors. And ch- a champion is someone who really will advocate for you, right? And advocate for you in a position of leadership and really help you grow. So I've had both and been very lucky in that way. Um, But on the point you were just making, my previous CEO said to me about leadership and building a team, don't make the mistake that almost all leaders make, which is to hire people who are just like you, because it feels good. When you're in an interview, and you're interviewing someone to be on your team, and that person is just like you, their style is just like you, their skill set maybe is just like you 10 years ago, that feels good. And most leaders make the mistake of hiring that person. You want people on your team who are good at the stuff at which you are not good, whose weaknesses Um, are different than your weaknesses. You don't want everyone to be good at exactly the same thing and bad at exactly the same thing because then your team can only do one set of things. So he said, hire people who are different than you always and learn to work with them. So that was my previous CEO. And my current CEO, um, when he came on board, spent a lot of time working on team and team development, introspection, mindfulness, and... um, the proper assessing of each other as team members. So we did a lot of sort of personality testing and we did a lot of work style testing. So that was really a gift as well because it, you know, you can hone your skills to learn about other people and how to interact well, but it's really nice to have some of that facilitated for you. It's really nice to have some actual, you know, Myers-Briggs or other kind of tests to help you understand how your other team members work together. Um, and so, so, you know, to your point that I've done introspection, I think I have, and I only get to take credit for part of it, right? Because, <laughs> because part of it was really facilitated by a great CEO. And I really do have a great team of very different people. And that's, I get part of the credit and my previous CEO gets part of the credit for that. And that's leadership too, is working with people, identifying mentors, um, identifying champions, learning from them. And then when you get in a position of leadership, I think it's a real responsibility to do that for other people. Awesome. Yeah. The, uh, in, in my direct reports, I have all of the other, uh, colors in the people code. Uh, I've got a, a blue, a white and a red. Uh, I don't have a yellow, uh, which are driven by fun. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I think the thing that is interesting to me and uh, if Jaden's listening to this, like, you know, e- each of them have a lot to, to teach me on their, the kind of like what they bring to the role and the differences of who they are. Um, but the one that teaches me the most, oddly enough, is also my red that reports to me, mm-hmm. uh, which is my own color. But just mm-hmm. like, you know, it's kind of like, I think the analogy that I would give is like, you know, your children mirror back to you. Uh, who you are for Mm -hmm. good or for worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think in some ways, you know, uh, just being able to see some of those, like obviously the virtues that you're looking for in another person who's 
good with being able to get things done and and execute swiftly and, and but you know and i think uh, like what we talked about for a lot of reds uh, you know, some of our struggles around the vices are the the impatience and the inflexibility, um, mm-hmm. but then also like uh, just being able to like with that impatience is like, can we let things breathe? Yes. It doesn't. The answer always doesn't have to be like immediately, like right then and there. That's Sometimes right. it's just like, well, like, you know, okay, I'm going to just like, let this kind of play itself out. And, and, you know, then, then the right answer will be able to come. And sometimes if we just try to force answers, we may not be, you know, always taking the the most calculated or the best approach that we possibly can be for whatever the initiative may be from a work initiative standpoint. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think, and I, I am learning something from my son who uh, is a new generation of people, right? Really. I, I feel like I'm really an awful lot like my parents and I feel like my son is really a very different generation from me. And maybe that's the way all people feel as they age, but his, I feel like their generation, this generation of teens is really very socially committed, very um, interested in issues of equity, social justice, commitment to others. I just love to see it. And also they learn a lot and they think a lot. And he is actually teaching me a lot about moderation, right? So overzealousness is for sure one of my vices. And it's also a strength, right? I mean, I, I care passionately about the people that Devereaux serves. I've given my professional life to them. It's aside from being a mom and a wife and a daughter and a family member, it's the most important thing in my life. And so I think that's been a strength. And I'm very driven to be of use to them, but I can also be, I can be quite overzealous. I can get, I can be quick to anger when I feel like politics or other issues are interfering with the ability to care for people who've been marginalized. I can, um, I can just be very overzealous and, you know, everybody says it's a marathon, not a sprint. And for, a good part of my professional life, I lived my life as one continuous sprint. <laughs> and you can't do that. That's not functional in the long term, truly. And when you're 25 and 30 and 35, it can feel like that is possible, but it really isn't. It isn't possible to work at that pace with that intensity seven days a week until you're 65 or 70, right? At some point, you really have to think about moderation, caring for yourself so that you can continue to do good for other people. And sometimes that really does mean exactly what you just said, which is the answer doesn't always have to be obvious and present today, especially when you're working in a social service or behavioral health care sphere where issues are incredibly complex and service to an individual might mean a lifetime of service or addressing a broad societal issue or ill could take a decade through a legislative approach. These are big issues that require really sustained and constant effort. And if you just jump into them with everything you have and throw yourself a thousand degrees or a thousand miles an hour into it, you'll burn out before you get to a good solution that is helpful and useful to others. So that's been a real struggle for me too, is to appropriately moderate 
the right degree of zeal and energy to bring to any particular table so that you don't overwhelm a situation or a team and that you don't overwhelm yourself and that you're able to sustain work that will take years. Sometimes some of this work will take me my entire career, right? And then I'll hand it off to someone else. So uh, that's been a real, that's been, a, that's been a, lear- a leadership learning uh, piece for me that I've really had to start wrapping myself around, I would say in the last three years, right? What is sustainable? What is useful? What's going to work for the long term? Well, uh, yeah, I, I can't speak on behalf of the audience, but I think that's really, um, you know, one of the fringe benefits of being able to do this podcast, you know, outside of being able to build relationships and provide thought leadership is the thought leadership for myself. So if they're not benefiting, I mean, that really is hitting me to the heart and thinking about, you know, some of the ways that we've thought through of growing out our agency and around our expectations, et cetera. So I really am appreciative of you for that. So thank you, Leah. So we talked about, you know, communication and people's ability to like perceive in the way that you've been gifted in that way. And then the same thing on like how being overzealous can be, you know, it can definitely be a gift, but then also uh, a curse in essence, if it's, you know, way over the top. Are there any other virtues that you feel like, you know, you've been naturally gifted with that you wanted to speak on? Because, yeah. I would say, you know, uh, probably a decade ago, a really good friend of mine asked me, you know, what do you want from your life? Really, what is it? What is it that you want at at a huge macro level? And I thought that's a really easy answer. What I want is to be of use. I, I want to be. I want to lead a meaningful life of service that helps other people. Um, I, I see, you know, some people are empaths and some people are you know, many different kinds of people in the world. Right. And that's what makes it interesting. Um, I tend to feel what other people around me are feeling. And I think there's a great deal of suffering in our world. Right. And some of it is, very obvious macro suffering, right? There are terrible things happening in many places in the world today, in the Ukraine, and people are suffering and dying. And and I think that's obvious. And I think a lot of people can wrap around something that is that clearly a tragedy, right? And, and, And needs to be addressed. But there's a lot of sort of, sort of ongoing marginal marginalization and suffering that people all around us are experiencing every day, right? And it has to do with many things. It could have to do with, um, it could have to do with racism. It could have to do with misogyny. It could have to do with the marginalization of, of the elderly or of people with disabilities. And um, I've always wanted to help. I've always wanted to use my life to do something meaningful that could help people who were being marginalized or who were in pain or who didn't have the resources they needed um, to be happy, to be healthy and to thrive. And that just, that wasn't something I had to develop it. I guess it was just a part of my nature. And, and now as I, you know, I'm sort of approaching older age and look back on my life and maybe where I've been successful, that sort of inherent desire to be of use to others has been 
has just been ever present and never required a thought or effort on my part to develop. And I think that's been a gift. I mean, it's given me, I know lots of different people and people who love their work for many different reasons, but wanting to be of use and then finding a space of leadership in the nonprofit environment has given me something to do with my life that I really care about, that really matters to me um, and that makes me feel useful. Uh, And that's been a, that's been a gift. That's really been a tremendous gift. So um, what do you say to the person that's either in a nonprofit and feeling like they're supporting the wrong mission or even someone that's on the for-profit side that feels like they're not attached. Cause I think it's easy to just go attack the for-profit people that are like, Oh, you know, not making the impact, not doing like service to, to be able to like provide and, you know, do some sort of like mission based work, et cetera. But, you know, just anyone that feels not as tied to the mission of the work that they're doing, what, you know, having someone that, you know, someone who's done, you know, the majority of her career in mission based work, yeah, I would love to, you know, kind of hear your thoughts on, on if anyone's listening to this and feeling not as drawn to the own mission that they've been working through, like what steps would you, would you take? So I would really encourage people. To, and, and I think that society is doing this a lot now after the pandemic in ways that they weren't before. I think that the effects of the pandemic isolation, you know, re, real worry for the health of loved ones. I think it's made us all think a lot about what we're doing, how we spend our time. And while the pandemic was awful and no one, certainly no one would wish for it. um, I do think that sort of a general societal assessment of things that truly matter has resulted from that. And, And perhaps something good will come for us all as a result. But whether it's because of the pandemic, you're just sort of assessing your life. I think it's really important whether it's in your work or in your personal life, to do something that you really care about. Uh, And I've gotten very lucky. I've been able to mix that with work and be compensated for it. And that's, for me, has been the greatest blessing of my professional life. Um, Also, if you are in the for-profit world and your work is important and you're supporting your family and you're doing, you know, good stuff and it's working for you, but you don't feel connected to that work in that way, figure out what matters to you and find a way to volunteer around that. Um, And that's something that I'm trying to instill in my son. You know, he's looking at lots of different kinds of careers and I will support whatever it is he wants to do and be proud of him. But if he decides to go into the corporate environment, if he decides to become a financial manager or, you know, whatever it is that moves him, I really have always asked him to think about and will continue to ask him to think about what is in the world that he cares about, that he thinks is not being addressed. And if that doesn't become your career, then make it your private passion. Every nonprofit in the country has a governing board. If they're following the laws and the rules, they have a governing board of volunteers, right? These people are volunteers. They are not compensated for the work that they do. And they are critically important to the mission of the organization. And without them, the organization cannot run. And every nonprofit needs to rejuvenate and renew their board of directors all the time. 
that's a wonderful way to play a leadership role in an organization or on behalf of a mission that matters to you. And if you don't have the kind of time or engagement to serve as a trustee, then there is a volunteer corps wrapped around pretty much every nonprofit in the country. So if you love animals and you can't stand the thought of animals suffering and dying from starvation in the street, the ASPCA needs you and has work that you could do today that would help them. And if you really want to work on behalf of individuals with autism or children fed trauma, Devereaux needs you. And so do so many other organizations. And if the environment is your thing, right? The Sierra Club needs you. Whatever it is you care about, I just would wish that all people could find an outlet for that. And if it's not in your professional life, there's a thousand ways to do it personally. And I really believe this when I say, I promise you, it will enrich your life. You will enjoy your life more for doing it. Um, and you will make connections with people who care about the same things you do. You will be giving a gift back to something you care about, animals, the environment, children, adults, the elderly, music, um, and it will be a real contribution and you will be enriched for it. And nonprofits yeah. can't run without that. I was just going to, so yes to all that. And if you were like me in my twenties and just totally self-centered and didn't care about anyone else, <laughs> um, then, and, but knowing that you should, like, I knew that I should be involved in something, but I was just like, I honestly just don't care about like really like any of these causes. It's just like, just, just pick one and get involved yeah, and you'll no. find that you'll, you'll, you'll find your path to where you need to be. It, it'll become evident to you. But, you know, sometimes, you know, the biggest uh, or biggest hurdle is just getting started. So just take Absolutely. that leap, pick one and get going. So awesome. Well, thank you for that, Leah. What's your uh, biggest challenge in your life presently? Would love to be able to, you know, close that in prayer. Well, that's very nice. I would say uh, my biggest challenge in my in my personal life is is being a good well, mom. Well, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the personal life, but if you okay. want to go there, that sounds fine. Well, I can do both, right? So in my personal life, it's being a good mom to a teen, right? So teens are growing and they need more space and moms are still just moms. I feel like exactly the same mom that I felt like when he was one year old. So that's a struggle. And I'm really trying to do that correctly so that he can spread his wings and I don't smother him, but I keep him safe. And that's a real struggle. And I think in my professional life, um, leadership comes with benefits and challenges, right? And I think that um, right now, the biggest struggle for me professionally is thinking about and doing good work on the work of the day, whatever that is, but also taking time to develop the next generation of leadership. Um, because I'm getting older, right? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think about what the end of my career looks like. And I really need to do my part to help develop the next generation of leadership for the organization. And that needs to happen, but so does all of the work of the day. So that's a struggle to balance that. And I'm trying to figure out how to really be a good, responsible leader of my organization and help find the next group of folks who will carry the mission forward and, and do good work. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, well, if you've ever heard of the St. Padre Pio, 
Um, he's a, a past deceased now, but um, one of the things that his ministry, he was really well known for was by location where like he's in essence, like often in other place doing ministry, helping people while at the same time, like in the monastery, like hearing confessions. <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, ultimately uh, God is a, a, if, if we believe in a God who is the creator, then in essence, then he is outside of time and space. And thus like he is not uh, accountable to time. And so, yeah, I just pray, Leah, that uh, God would bless you abundantly, especially like a noble uh, desire of, of your heart like that, that God would just uh, open the, the way for you to be able to, you know, execute through on everything that you need to do from your own job and deliverables, but that also that uh, it would just, the doors would open to be able to you know, help to, to pour your wisdom into those uh, that, that need that kind of like hand up into that next level of leadership. And that would also apply to your son as well, that uh, you would just be able to have the wisdom and guidance that you need to know when it's time to, to get in the weeds and when it's time to just, you know, get out of the way and lovingly let him kind of figure it out for himself. Uh, so yes, uh, God, we uh, pray this through the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also I uh, just wanted to thank everyone for being with us on the virtuous heroes podcast today, uh, where we inspire virtuous leadership. If uh, this episode has blessed you at all, please uh, let us know in, in the various uh, you know, ways to, to communicate through the comment section, through social media. And if, if this uh, episode also kind of like sparked some ingenuity of people that you think that would be great uh, guests on the podcast, please let us know as well. But Leah, thank you so much for carving time out to inspire virtuous leadership for our audience and uh, many blessings to you. Thank you. Same to you, Christopher. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. To continue to grow in virtue, will you please subscribe to the Virtuous Heroes podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify? Or you could also visit us on the web at www.spiritmco.com. That would be tubular. Hope you have an awesome day.